Today is Wednesday. It is October 7th, 2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have together. We recognize, uh, you know, we've pulled aside from our daily routines, and it is our objective to focus our attention on your word. So we thank you for this opportunity to think about the scriptures that will be before us. And we ask for wisdom so that we can understand uh, those scriptures and come to know you better. Also, Father, we have some prayer requests that we want to bring to you. One is Dave's family as he has uh, lost his, his ex-wife. We're praying for comfort uh, as, as they grieve. And we know that this is a process. And that time does help in this process, but we're asking you to intervene as well for this family. Also, we're asking for prayer for Fred uh, and uh, Ella at this hour, uh, as there has been an accident, and we're praying for healing and comfort as well. We're also praying for our extended families. Uh, while they may not be on the call, we're asking for prayer for them as well. And Lord, sometimes family can be trouble and trials for us. And so we're asking for uh, prayer in this area for all the families that are associated with Word is Truth and all the things that are going on with the pandemic and, and the difficult financial stresses that may be a part of or as a result of uh, this time we're living in. All these things we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Amen. So, we have been studying in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to, uh, I think we're in verse 24, yeah, or 25 today. We'll, we'll get there later. Um, so, we have some intriguing verses before us and have had for since we've entered in you know this phase of you know uh, the glory and what the sons of God will be bringing as a result of uh, God completing his plan through us so yeah it's been exciting just trying to get a grasp of this whole thing together you know so uh, I think we, we are going to try to cover some ground tonight as well. So we're going to do some Q&A. We have a little bit of time. We won't take probably about a good 10, 15 minutes, but maybe there is a question or two out there or comment. So the floor is open. Um, I have a comment and a question. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, the is just uh, just praise and admiration for the Father's plan and the way He worked things out, and the fact that He chose us in Him before the beginning of time, before creation. And uh, I was thinking about the. Um, it, it seems like the opposite way with the angels. So it was the angels that were created in in righteousness, and yet there were those that decided to rebel against God. And that was a, they had free volition to do so, um, and also it was permanent. So there weren't any fallen angels who um, could go back after that. And it's the same way with the church. It, you know, once for any salvation of any age, it, it's like once a person is saved, um, then they are um, then they are saved and they don't lose that salvation. Right. So they're going from condemnation to righteousness in the case of mankind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just thought that was beautiful the way that worked out. Um, and. My question was more, was kind of general uh, uh, about evangelizing. Um, 
and we talk a lot about, you know, people doing works to be self-righteous and to earn their righteousness and everything, which we know is contra- you know, contradicts with salvation by grace. But what about those who don't care, who seem to say that, you know, there's, there's, you know what's more important is, um, you know, what's right in front of them? And they think that, uh, you know, it's enough to just love other people as best we can and do the best we can. Yeah, there's, there's, listen, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be not only that category, but other categories of people who have uh, refused to believe in Jesus Christ, but have clung to whatever it is that they clung to. But, uh, yeah, but let me, let me look at that. When you mentioned that first part about, in your comment about, uh, thanking God for choosing us. Actually, that is a scripture. I just wanted to bring that to your attention so so that we can at least integrate the feeling that we have with the same feeling that the apostle wrote about in Ephesians chapter 1. So he says, uh, he says, and the scripture is 1-3. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. Who have who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spirit every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopt for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So just know verse 3 there it is. He's thanking, he's praising God. He's literally the same thing you just said. You said, praise God. Now, I'm wondering if you were thinking about that scripture or you were just thinking, praise God for our calling. I was just thinking, praise God. Yeah. So that's... uh, I like the way that scripture fits. Yeah, there it is right there. And, you know, we, you wouldn't normally think to praise God for something like that unless you understood what God did. And there it is. Uh, it's all right in front of us here. And how Paul was appreciate, appreciative of what God the Father did, and so are we as well. But, but on to your, your, your other thought. Um, yeah, there. It's it's really hard for us to tell what's going on inside of people, and even though it, they may appear one way on the outside, cavalier, nonchalant, they don't care. Um, maybe they're overly religious and refuse to relent. Uh, don't even want to see anything about grace, uh, or they could just take the other spectrum and just be totally out there in the world, caught up, consumed with the cares of this world. Uh, Or, just like it says in Romans chapter 1, many who who know God gives the witness, but they refuse. And so then they substitute their, what should be their spiritual act of worship with what they want to substitute for worship worshiping uh, the cre- the creation rather than the creator. So yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of reasons why people refuse to place their only hope in Christ. So there's, there's a couple of uh, thoughts about that as I I think about it. One is in John Chapter 3 is, I think about that one scripture that is so commonly known, John chapter 1, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this verse has been looked at probably more, almost, I, I won't even dare to say, but probably more than any verse in the Bible. And 
even even unbelievers know this verse. <laughs> so it is one of those verses that is so in your face that people just automatically know what it means. But one of the things I've seen in it is, at least from the perspective of studying the bad news, at least that's on my mind more so, is that, listen, we were placed into this position of unrighteousness and sinfulness. We, we Not by our own choice. Right? It, it wasn't my doing that I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner. It wasn't my doing that I was born unrighteousness. For all are under sin. It doesn't matter if you're Jews or Gentiles. So when I think about that, I have to think, and this is probably not popular to even say this, but it is justice that God has uh, dispatched his Christ to pay for my sins. It is justice. Now, I know people would like to say it is love. Well, God loves us so much. He just He just wants to to save us. And so what you know, this is mercy and all that. But really, I think it is a matter of justice. If you think about it, I mean, I didn't. I mean, if we took somebody to court because of some act that they did, and then we realize, well, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances to why that person did what they did. What would we do in that case? We wouldn't throw the book at them and say, this is just, I, I, you know, our justice system. I'm, I'm comparing it to God, but just hopefully you're, uh, you don't think I'm saying our justice system is better than God. I'm saying that if I'm born in this world, in sin, and I did not have a choice in the matter. And I could, it's like I said, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who do good. I couldn't do good if I tried. There was nothing good in me at all. What could God expect from me but sins? So what does God do, on the other hand, as a result of this? He pays for every sin I would ever commit in my life. Every one of them. I, I wasn't even on the scene when he did it. So, and then, upon our reconciliation, he just completely gives me his righteousness, free of charge. Not, no payment on my part at all. So what is that? Right, we, we call it grace, we call it love, we call it. But really, it turns, it's, it, it seems to me that it's justice. What if God did not pay for all my sins. Would that be fair? Let's just put it that way. I'll throw the question out there and then see if there are answers to it. No, that would not be fair. Um, but unfortunately, I have heard that kind of thing in Reformed theology, where they talk about God saving only certain people. Yes. Reformed theology has this teaching where um, God does, did not, he, he did not plan to save the whole human race. He only wanted to save some. So it, it follows in their theology that it is not unlimited atonement, that it is limited atonement. So he doesn't pay for their sins. That was one of the main things I objected to when thinking about Reformed theology. I would say, wait a minute, so you mean to tell me God gave life to people, put them in this construct where they're born in sin, uh, shaping in iniquity, they're unrighteous, there's not, not even one, and then they're lost, condemned, right? have a sin nature, and then he didn't have any salvation plan for these people. They were destined to be lost forever. Now, I, I just couldn't reconcile that with fairness and justice. So that was one of my objections to, uh, and that's a big one. I used, I used to say it this way. I said, well, I said, if I were to go to the Lake of Fire, now I know this is just an analogy, and interview some of the people that are there, any, all of the people that are there, and ask them, why are you here? What would they say? 
What would be their answer? I'm paying for my sins. I'm what? I was, they were born into this world as sinners. They did what they could and only could do. And they ended up in the lake of fire so that they will, their torment would last forever and ever. The smoke of their torment will ascend forever and ever. There'll be no rest for them day or night. They will suffer. Where the, they were, where the worm does not die, and there's lots of analogies for the final judgment, and that's why they're there because they were born. God gave them life. Wouldn't it have been better for him them to not even get life, but to be born and live as a sinner and then end up into the lake of fire with no plan of salvation, no hope for them at all. So anyway, there's a lot of reasons, other reasons why we reject Calvinism, but. Other thoughts? Is it justice or is it love? Which is it? Well, if I could add, um, as a little boy, I can remember um, this was this very question is what I had asked the pastor at the time. His name was, I won't mention his name, but <laughs> anyway, uh, I asked him how could. Uh, all-knowing God condemn human beings that he knew before he created them that they were going to be lost and condemn them to the lake of fire. Uh, I never got an answer to that until I understood grace and the bad news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never got an answer entirely and more increasingly more and more until all these things that the Spirit revealed to me uh, as to why. But I never got an answer in that particular church. Um, you know, I, I also uh, was thinking what Dwight said. Uh, he was talking about evangelism. And I guess this is in regards to, you know, this is a dying world. How do you reach them? about the salvation truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the scriptures that they twist to their own destruction. Uh, like, for instance, uh, I don't know where that scripture says it, but he that endureth to the end, the same will be saved. Uh, there, there must be five, eh, I guess seven main ones that <clears throat> in the New Testament that people use. And uh, I was thinking about you're writing a book. How could you, you know, highlight those main scriptures that people use? But then I thought about it and I said, you know, I, I just don't know if that would be enough to overturn what they had held before. Mm. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's just sad that they those scriptures that they twist. Uh, there's the one that Dwight had wrestled with in Colossians uh, that <clears throat> was another one that are you truly saved, once saved, always saved. This is this is at the crux of the whole matter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and man's relative righteousness, I mean, that you could be so good I'll be good, and I'll make myself, I'll shine myself up so I'm presentable to God, a righteous God. We know that's impossible. So, anyway, just a few thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I, I would, I agree with those thoughts. And, I, you know, this is, this is our yearning desire to try to present the Word of God as clear as possible. So that everybody can, we want everybody to have a look at what God has done for them. Many people don't even know that uh, what God has done. And Christians are in the world and they're emphasizing all these other things that really <laughs> are not about salvation, right? Salvation is what we should be leading with. This is the greatest thing God ever did. 
it, well, let's not say the greatest thing ever God ever did, but when it comes to us who need salvation desperately or else, it is the first thing that God has to address with us. He can't give us, like let's say now we're in the church age. Wow, the blessings are off the scale. We can't even measure them. But, but yet we can't even get to them if we don't go through the door that is Christ. So we have um, a lot of uh, thinking uh, around that so that we can present the word of God as clear as possible to those who are lost. That is our quest and our desire. And you know where that desire comes from? It doesn't come from us. It does not come from the source of us. It comes from God the Holy Spirit working in our lives. He's the one who wants to have everyone be saved. And this is the goal. And that spirit, that influence is in us as well. So now we walk around saying, yeah, this is, how can we make it clear? How can all of those yearnings are God, the Holy Spirit within us? Uh, unbelievable. So we're going to talk about that tonight a little bit if, if we get to it. We'll see. Um, but other thoughts, but we're going to, we're going to head to Romans. Before we head to Romans, other thoughts? Okay, so we will get back to John 3.16 again at some point. We'll think about it. All right, let's, um, let's head on to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So we, I'm going to start reading at verse 23, but we're probably around verse 24 and 5. So here's what it says. Not only so. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So just if we follow the context all the way down to here, then we understand that we have a role to play in, in the, the, uh, not only the transition of uh, the end of human history, but for the destruction of the universe and to the new universe, including the new earth. All of that will happen. And the catalyst, it appears, for all of this is the completion of the Father's plan, which is, uh, which also coincides with uh, the full adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So we have a very important role to play, even though a lot of this is positional. Like just because uh, God, and this is what we were talking about earlier, where Dwight talked about praise God for calling us. Well, that is, as, as we think about our calling, man, it's nothing but gratitude. Appreciation is on our lips. So this is... You know, the more we know, the, the more thankful we are. And, wow, God, us? <laughs> Me? There is, I, I'm just, I can't even, I don't have enough words to, to thank him. So what we want to see then is that we have this hope. What is building in your soul? This rumbling is literally going on is, is the hope that he, that he has called us to. That's what's forming in us. And it's starting to well up in our soul like a spring. And uh, then when that happens and we start seeing it clearer and, and more clear, we begin this, this yearning, this groaning inwardly, because we want this to happen for us. We want to get to this place. However, we know that this is part of God's plan. So we eagerly wait for this to happen. Now, the more we read about it, the more we see how Scripture and God's eternal purpose all fits with this mystery doctrine and how it all is about us and, and how God has hid these things from uh, angels and man and hid them within himself and now he reveals them to us. We are living in the time 
where God is calling out those many sons into glory. So we are saying, what we're saying is, is this hope that we have about our lives here in the world is for the next world to come. It's not for this world, it's for the next world. So the more we focus our attention on that, that is exactly what it says in Colossians 3, that we ought to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, don't think about earthly things, but but set your mind on things above. That's exactly it. it more, the more we think about this, the more our minds are transformed, the hope becomes more and more clear. It goes from faith to confidence to fully persuaded that that is the reality for us. And we live according to that. We order our lives according to this hope that we have. We think differently because of it. We behave differently because of it. We, we choose uh, to live in this world in a different way than we, than we would have if we didn't have the hope that is set before us. So then Paul is going to go into this whole thing about hope so that we will understand he gives us a little bit of lesson, a lesson on hope. So verse 24 starts, For in this hope we were saved. So it didn't say salvation was the hope. He's saying that the thing that he had been talking about all this time, all the way from, oh gosh, all the way back in Romans from where we started, that thing about us being sons and God declaring that you know, the, the Holy Spirit would communicate with our spirits that we are sons of God. And and how if we're sons, we're heirs of God and on and on. And, and then if we're co-heirs, if we if we share in his glory, uh, we will suffer with Christ. We will also be glorified with him. So then that becomes the destiny that is in front of us that we can clearly see now as we get down to this part in the context so we're saying that this is what god is talking about that he saved us when he saved us it was with a view toward that we would take our place as sons now he he already knew that we would do this because he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight so he knew that we were going to be sons Salvation was the door that we had to walk through in order to get to our calling. In God's mind, our calling is more important. Salvation is a one-time event. It is not something we labor over for, the, for our whole lives. you got Christians, or so-called, or even if they are Christians, and if they don't have a sure foundation... And they constantly revisit this whole thing about salvation. Well, do I have it? I hope so. I, I didn't perform very well. I didn't perform like a saved person today. Uh, you know, I got, uh, you know, I, I got, I got Jesus. So, but then if I don't feel like it, I might let him go. And all, all these things that come into people's minds, and they, these are doctrines that are out there, but they are not from God. God doesn't want us to have doubt about who we are in Christ. So just going back to the scriptures here, let's look at, for in this hope we were saved. God looks past salvation in that phrase. Look at that, just for a minute. What is your, I mean, we could have, all of us could have been in the same boat as everyone else if, we, if it were not for the fact that we have this foundation that we understand what God's telling us about salvation, that is free, it's a gift, it's not of works, it's not uh, lest any man should boast, it's not of ourselves, it's, it's, a, it's, like, it's linked to, to human birth. And it happens one time, just once in your life that you were born again. Now, you're not born again over and over and over, <laughs> not again and again and again. It's just once. So in this hope we were saved. God recognizes salvation. Absolutely. That's not the subject. That's not the biggest deal. This is the biggest deal. 
Salvation is just going through a door to get to this. That's what we've been talking about. But let's read a little bit more in verse 24. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. So, you know, when we looked at that verse, hope that is seen, well, what hope is seen? Salvation. Salvation is something we already have. God is never going to retrace his his word and go back on his word on us when it comes to salvation. He's never going to do that. He tells you there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he, there's lots of other scriptures of assurance to let us know that we have eternal life. And we are saved. So if we don't embrace the word of God here, it's like not believing the bad news. It gets you into trouble. Not believing the good news gets you into trouble. You've got to embrace the fact that God said you're saved. God doesn't expect you to dwell on that. He expects you to move on to your calling. And if you don't, what happens? You end up forfeiting, being robbed of your calling. Just being robbed of what we were talking about earlier when Dwight said, praise God for what he's done for us. You don't have that in your heart because in your heart is only performance salvation. Did I do good today? Good. That means God likes me. Did I do bad today? Oh man, I must be in trouble. I better I better do some, some repentance and penance or whatever I got to do to get myself right back in the good graces of God. But, but God is, salvation is it's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be easy. Some points that I wrote down when we think about this. Because uh, God says, who hopes for what, he already, what they already have? If you already have salvation, what are you doing trying to pine over it? Yearning for it. You have it. It's almost like God is shaking you and saying, look, you are Saved. Now move on. Just like he told those people and people, those Christians in Hebrews chapter five. You know, you should be teachers by now. So in Hebrews six, one, you guys need to move on to maturity. That's what that's what, what the goal is. It's not hanging around thinking about salvation. Do I have it? Do I not? Uh, have I done all that God requires? Who hopes for what he already has? no one if you have it you don't need to have a hope for it it's done it's time to move on so verse 25 but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently here's some thoughts about that verse so we needed to have the contrast of salvation with the hope of our destiny because there's a hope of salvation if you don't have it Listen, let me, let me stop right here and say, if you're not sure whether you have salvation, if you're not, well, you need to spend every waking moment making sure in any way you can. God is, listen, God wants you to be saved. There's no equivocation about that. So he has provided everything necessary for our salvation and he has communicated it thoroughly. So if you... I'm not sure if you're saved. I'm not encouraging you to move on to anything until you make sure of your salvation. So, just like it says, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. If we don't have salvation, you need to figure it out and get it. But once you get it, then you're done with it. You don't have to keep thinking about it. It's good to study foundation because that helps bolster, build, it builds a fortress around the doctrines of salvation so that they cannot be moved. So, if I think about contrasting salvation and the hope of our destiny, the first thought would be, if, if, if salvation... If we have it, if we really do have it, this verse, these verses are saying we don't hope for it anymore. That's natural. 
You don't have to keep talking about it as though, well, what, do we get it? What does that word mean? If you're not sure of all that, then you got to go back and go make yourself sure. You and God, the Holy Spirit, will do that. But if we have it already, we don't have to think about it as a hope anymore. That's what he says. We, we don't have to think about it as a hope. So the problem is that many don't see salvation as done. It's done, and therefore they are robbed of their calling. They never will get to their calling because they are constantly uh, pining, yearning, and they think the hope is salvation. If I could just be saved, if I could just be in that number, please, Lord, just let me be in that number. That is not of God. And God is telling you here that your hope should be in your calling. Salvation is easy. God did everything. He did all the work. All of it. He paid for every sin you would ever commit. Every one. So sin's not an issue. And then when you believe in Christ, which is non-meritorious, he's the Savior. He did all the work. And it's his righteousness that we get. It's not we earned it in some way. So the righteous standing we have before God comes from Christ's righteousness. It does not come from our righteousness. So how can we lose? <laughs> we can't lose if we follow and trust in what God has given us through the work of Christ. We can't lose. You're going to be saved. That's what will happen to you if you trust in Christ. Trust the matter of your soul salvation to Christ. It's done. He will not let you go. He saves to the uttermost, it says in Hebrews, those who come to God by him. So you can bet that he who has begun a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will definitely complete it. There's no if, ands, buts, equivocation, or wondering about it. No work is necessary for you to, to be saved. No work. So, you're going to be robbed if you keep thinking about salvation when you already have it. That's a waste of time. You, you really don't have any time to waste. We need to be busy, just like Christ was, about our Father's business. So, the other thought would be to make sure that you are living which, when I say living, that means with hope in your heart for your calling. If that's what you, if you wake up in the morning and start thinking about salvation, you, you, you're not here. You're not with these verses yet. God is expecting you to look past salvation like he is. He is not expecting you to hope about salvation. He's expecting you to have this hope about your calling. Because that's the real deal here. So it's, it's you've you got to make sure that that's your, the motivation for your living, that hope, not your plan, not getting up in the morning and thinking, well, let me execute my plan with, without, with, with a disregard to the father's thinking, not the world's plan, not being caught up in the distractions <coughs> and the attractions of the world. It's the Father's plan that we want to get focused on, that we are being transformed as we come to these sessions. That's the idea, is that we get our heads screwed on straight. That's the transformation process that the Holy Spirit takes us through. So what does it say? We wait for it patiently. That's what we do. That's the mode that we should be in, waiting for it patiently. Uh, so when we think about waiting, there's a few things that I want to talk about when it comes to waiting. What's, what's the perspective? So the first thought is wait. We're willing to operate on God's timing. That's what that's to say. If we're saying we're willing to wait patiently, that means we're not hurrying God up. We're, we're saying, God, we know we're in the plan. We are confident we're in the plan. And we are willing to wait for whenever you are ready for us to uh, be caught up together in, with him, to bring the church to an end. It's your timing. We're, we're not 
rushing you to do it. Well, we are longing for it. We recognize that that is the case. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's we're yearning for it. But we now do we know we, we're, we're balancing what God has for us with what God's ultimate plan is for us on the ground. We're willing to wait for it. Not just, and we're not just waiting. We're waiting for something specific, right? If you're not just, if you're not seeing God's eternal purpose, then you're not waiting. <laughs> you you you're here, but if you're not, you don't. So the question becomes: Can you see it? Can you see God's eternal purpose? Can you see this hope that is uh, that God has given us? If you can. Then you can uh, you could see it more clear. You could allow yourself to sharpen your focus, and you can patiently wait for it. And when we think about patiently, so we're convinced that's what why we're patient. See, waiting. I don't like waiting. Right? To be honest with you, when it comes to if I have to get something for online or if I'm ordering something, I don't like to wait. I want it because I'm already geared up when I see what it is. I've read about it, this and that. I don't want to wait for it. I want it now. So, but, but when it comes to this, we wait patiently. So what does that mean? It means we're convinced, we're confident that it is sure. It is not something that might happen. It is something that we know will happen. I mean, it's, it's like Paul said, I am confident, I am persuaded. So, you know, when Paul says that later, we're going to get to later in the chapter, in verse uh, 38, eight, Romans 8, 38. He says, for I am convinced, I am persuaded, I'm confident. And what is Paul talking He's talking about our calling. He's the same thing that we've been, we're talking about now. We just are not at that verse yet, but it's the same context. He's saying, I'm convinced. And you know, I looked up that word, uh, what it means to be persuaded. And it's it's that same word in John 3.36, patho. And, and it says, now of course, this is used with regard to salvation in John 3.36, but notice how it's used. It says, he that believes in the Son has life now the first first part of that excuse me first part of that verse is believes and that's just regular pistuo this is not the same word here but then the second part of that verse but he who he who refuses to believe or some trans let me see how the niv says it i forgot but uh let's see how they translate it I think the King James just said he does not believe, but that's not what it says. So he who whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects, so they translated it rejects the Son. Right? That that's the word patho. It means refuses to be persuaded. Refuses. That's so. It's not just patho. You put a negative in front of it, so it's apatho, which means refuse to be persuaded by God, by the evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're refusing the influence of the Holy Spirit upon your soul. So what do you end up doing? You end up rejecting the Son. But but that's the word where Paul says, he doesn't say he's apatho, he says he's patho, he's persuaded. But, but now we're not talking about salvation when we're talking about the hope. And he... he the persuasion there on the other side of it means confidence, right? That's what it means. It means absolute confidence. We're persuaded. But what are we persuaded by? And it's by the evidence that we have seen, that God has shown us regarding who we are as sons. We are persuaded that this is the reality for us. This is what God has made of us the evidence of who we are. So then we can think about also the other part of this. The influence of our destiny comes from the Holy Spirit. 
right? So when we talk about this persuasion, this this influence, right, that we're persuaded, and we are, have said yes, we we don't say no, we re don't refuse to be persuaded, we say yes. Well, there are some people who refuse to be persuaded about their eternal hope. They refuse to believe that God has done something different in this age. It's called the mystery. And it's being revealed. They refuse to accept that. But that is their calling. That is their destiny. So, but Paul is saying, I am confident. I am fully persuaded in this. And it's by the evidence that happened in Paul's life. It's not just evidence, it's God the Holy Spirit. It's the influence of our destiny that comes from God the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to think, the Holy Spirit has a totally new role in this age. He may have been around in previous ages in common and efficacious grace, but in this age, he has a completely brand new role with new assets and abilities that he brings to us that he never before seen. One I can name to you is right off the top of my head is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That never happened before. And that makes all the difference. So when we think about the influence of our destiny that comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's also our agreement with the Word, the revealed Word of God. So it's the Word. That's why He's the Spirit of truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. So we have to think about the Holy Spirit from that perspective. We can't think, oh, okay, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's just the Holy Spirit like the old Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. No, he never had a role like this. Never. He never brought assets that he's, where he indwells us. And he said he will be with us forever. In the eternal state, we will have the Holy Spirit. And this identification that it brings to us with the person of Christ, that bond will never break. It's for eternity. In fact, it's more for eternity than it is for time. So it's, it's, we have to, so not only it's our agreement too, we have to cooperate with the, the ministry of the Spirit. We have to not resist the or quench the Spirit. So it's it's our agreement as well with the revealed Word of God. That means we have to be familiar and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The Holy Spirit does that for us. He, and the material that He uses, the Word of God. So, so we don't, so we know that we do not have our destiny yet. We know that we're not there. So what do we do? We wait for it. Patiently. Those are the things that we need to do in order to, to be sure that, you know, when we think about our lives here, the world has so many distractions and attractions that are out there that we could get caught up in it and, you know, be so involved in other things in this world that we don't sharpen our focus on what God has, has told us as far as our destiny is concerned. Other pursuits in our life can can take precedence over uh, what God has called us to. Can you imagine? You're standing at the judgment seat of Christ, and you're telling God what was more important than the Father's plan. That there was something in your life that hindered you from fulfilling your destiny. Now, some people are going to, they were surely are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But I would tell you there might not be much excuse if you're in this church because we talk about it. This is the thought here. We, there's, I mean, you still have your volition intact. I'm not taking that away from you. However, <laughs> we're going to be putting it in your face for the rest of your life as long as you show up here. This is the, this is the destiny. This is our hope. And we're growing into it more and more each week. So as we think about God, the Holy Spirit, and the, the work that he's doing in our lives, much of this work goes unnoticed. Remember, 
Holy Spirit said, and we're going to get to more of this next week, and I notice our time is, we don't have enough today, but it says, the Holy Spirit, he shall not speak on his own. He shall only speak what he hears. This is John 16, 13, where it says, he will bring glory to me by taking forth his mind. He will not speak on his own. In other words, you don't even know that the Holy Spirit is in you. You think that those inclinations and influences that are in you are yours. You've just assigned those to, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm pretty good. Holy Spirit got me thinking all these things and, and, and somehow we have attributed them to us. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who is in us, causing us to want and to do his good pleasure. And he operates He's not heavy-handed. You're not going to even know because he will integrate with your consciousness so well that it will almost feel like it's you doing it. So that's why we got to make sure that we, we understand the operations of the Spirit and we don't take glory to ourselves for who we are and what our impact in this world is. So you have to think of God the Holy Spirit as unassuming, but yet he has taken up the battle to fight your sin nature, to give you options and influence you to walk in truth according to the Father's plan. The life of hope, the life where you're yearning, the life of focusing our destiny, all of that, all of that, is the Holy Spirit's prompting. None of that is you. None of it. So if you understand anything, you better thank the Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit is not even saying thank Him. He's saying, praise Christ. He's the Lord. Praise the Father. He's the one who called you. So we, we understand His role. The more we go in this, we're going to be taking it apart even more so that we can understand fully how the Holy Spirit integrates with us. So we're going to get to this next part in verse 26 next week. I thought we might move to it this week, but we took our time on hope. So it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So in the same way, what? What do you mean in the same way? In the same way as, as, as we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We who have this ministry. Yeah, in the same way as that, the Holy Spirit's also working over here too. We're going to learn about that next week. How he helps with our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. That's going to be our topic next week. So we will pause here and we'll, we'll just stop to see if there are any questions before we close. I just have a uh, thought question. In verse 20, it's about the creation um, waste for us. That refers to the first thing that adequated until the end of um, time in human history. And created as we were created through heaven and the new earth. You're saying in verse 20? Yeah, where it says about the, the creation. I believe it was last week that someone said that before. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who subjected it, right, right. That's 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 referring to Adam, right? Well, if we think about the, the whole creation, so the whole creation, uh, we would have to say that the creation was was already subjected to frustration when when Paul not Paul why am I saying Paul <laughs> when when Lucifer <laughs> sinned because that that caused a conflict already because remember when when Adam and the woman were in the garden Lucifer was Satan he's not even Lucifer anymore he's Satan who was also in the garden. But everything God restored on the earth was good, except he, uh, it was still a test for mankind. 
and he allowed Satan access to them in the garden. So here, so there's a so it's two a twofold if you think about it. So the beginning part part is where when Adam fell, uh, the universe had already fallen because of the angels. But when Adam fell, the earth from its restored position had fallen into sin and decay. The universe was already in decay and corruption since angels sinned. But the end point of it all comes in two phases. One, when the sons of God revealed in the second coming, the millennium will be set up and all of uh, the earth will change and it will revert back. You know, long, people, we will have longevity. Those who are living on the earth won't die. I mean, there's lots of things that happen. So, but then at the end of the millennium, after the thousand years are finished, God will destroy not only the earth, and this is after the judgment. He will destroy not only the earth, but he will destroy the universe. And uh, then he will create a new heavens and a new earth. So that's as far as the timing that I see. Okay, all right, thanks. Because I would just look at the fact that Adam said, I didn't... I mean, I know we discussed that before, but I was driving when we discussed I have had a chance to ask that. Yeah, in uh, fact. So I, would just refer that to, I would just refer that to Adam, though. I didn't know about the restoration of the earth. It was uh, falling also about the creation. Yeah, yeah. And well, it was Fred's point that, uh, we, well, it was a, a question that he, he raised about uh, what happened before um, before Adam, because the angels had already sinned before Adam and how what effect did that have and it made me start thinking about it I said wait a minute that is true so the universe was corrupt even before planet earth um, you know was corrupted by what Adam did so that what Adam did pertained to the earth because the universe was already corrupted but God only restored the earth he didn't say he restored the the universe, he restored the earth so that man could be on it. But it was, remember, all of this rolls up to God's eternal purpose, which he wanted to bring many sons into glory. So all of this was orchestrated, but man chose what man chose, and angels chose what angels chose. Okay, I'll see it now, Cloud. It was my mistake. I was just looking at at the earth, but the scripture says the the the, the universe will be um it was frustrated to, to decay. So I'm, I'm looking at just a small part. I didn't know it was the whole the whole universe, like with the stars and everything else. You know, the universe that was also put when the angels said. Yeah. So just think about it. Why you know, would it, why would God okay. need to to destroy the universe if if it was just about the earth? No, it was. So when you think about and this is the point I was bringing out on verse 20. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of, of the one who subjected it. But then there's, it's linked to the next verse, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage Wait, to decay right. and brought into the okay. freedom. Right. Okay. So, so the creation deals with the first creation, and it, it's going to be liberated. But notice the end point is, is that, the sons of God, right? They'll be brought into the freedom and right. glory of the children of God. So that is God's eternal purpose for all things, and it has to do with us. So what we, what effect we have on the universe is gargantuan. That's all I could say. It is. This is okay. what this is what we are okay. studying, and this is the hope of our calling. Now, I don't want to discourage, right. now, okay. before I close, I, I, I said some tough things. I don't want to discourage anybody from thinking about salvation. If you want to have a question about salvation or you are not sure about something about salvation, please bring it forward. Um, discussing the foundation is never a waste of time for us. But... We need to understand it. That's why, I could, because we need to have that as a done deal. 
so that we can focus our attention on the hole. All right, we're going to have to quit. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we've had to focus on your word. We thank you for the calling that uh, you chose us in him before the creation of the world, that this is who we are. We thank you for those who are here under the sound of my voice and those who may listen to these recordings, that they may come to know their destiny. They'll be able to understand not only salvation, but the way that God has given us to live, the hope that he has in our hearts. So we continue to keep word is truth in prayer. Those who are sick, those who are mourning, those who are in pain, those who are financially distressed in, these, in this critical time that we're living in. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.